We're going to be starting our study in the book of Daniel. Now, some people will say, what happened to the book of Revelation? That comes after Jude. Well, in order to understand the book of Revelation, you must understand the book of Daniel. So this is a prelude to the book of Revelation. If you would, please stand as we read the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. It's just two verses, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know, we always do an introduction, an introduction to the book. But before we get to the introduction, I just want to make a couple brief mentionings here. First of all, Daniel means God is my judge. And I think every one of us could be called Daniel because God is going to be our judge at the end of all time. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're going to be judged for what you have done after salvation for the kingdom of God. Your works will be judged. It's that we're saved by grace through faith, but works will be judged at the Bema Seat judgment. If you're not a Christian, if you refuse and you rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior, the awful thing awaits you is the great white throne judgment. And we'll all be judged. And those people at the great white throne will end up in the lake of fire, separated from God forever. It's the saddest of sad things and need not be. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today's your day. Come to know him. So anyway, the book of Daniel. Now, as we study the book of Daniel, the resources that I'm using are, are, are many. I'm going to be using a website called Precepts Austin. You can go look at it. There's a plethora of information there on Precepts Austin. There's a guy named Tony Garland that has done a wonderful commentary and a study on the book of Daniel. Andy Woods has done the same thing. I'm using a book from H.A. Ironside for this. D. Paul Beck is another guy that I'm using on Harpazo website. John Wolverd has a commentary and John MacArthur, uh, John Corson, and there's many others that I'll be using. So it's an amalgamation of information from several, several points. But the ultimate teacher, it's not these guys, it's the... Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, he's the one that actually teaches us. So, so as we study the book of Daniel, remember that uh, it's getting it from, from many sources. If you have a study Bible, there's usually an introduction to a book. And every time we start a book, we do a brief introduction. And that's what we'll do with the book of Daniel. I have a John MacArthur study Bible, so you get to hear a little bit of what his view on this. But you'll have very similar information if you have a study Bible in the front of your Bible. So just a couple points. I can't bring out everything that he's going to say. But First of all, Daniel bridges the entire 70 years of Babylonian captivity. The nation of Israel goes into captivity for two reasons. This will be mentioned later, but it's because of the length of time that they, that they didn't keep the land Sabbaths, and it was because of idolatry. And prophet after prophet after prophet warned and warned and warned, and they spurned the warnings, and they end up in 70 years of captivity. Daniel is, it bridges two kingdoms, the Babylonian kingdom and the Medo-Persian kingdom. And he ends up rising into prominence into both of those because of the hand of God. He starts at about age 14 or 15, and it goes all the way through 85 years. He is taken from his home, taken into captivity, indoctrinated into the culture of the Babylonian, of Babylonians, and then he rises to prominence in spite of where he is placed. The book begins in 605 B.C. when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. And he exiled Daniel and his three friends, and it continues through the demise of the Babylonian Empire. 
and the Medo-Persian Empire rises up. And it's interesting, when you do a study in Daniel, he is prophesying what is going to happen with future kingdoms. Greece will arise, Rome will arise, and a lot of people say, oh, this had to be written late. This couldn't be possible. No, God spoke to the heart of Daniel. This is Bible prophecy, which gives credence to the credibility that our God is the only true God. Things predicted in the past came to fruition just as predicted. Daniel is one of these books that is going to be very, very dramatically demonstrating this. We need to remember that there were many contemporaries of Daniel. Ezekiel wrote about the same time as Daniel. Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah. These are all prophets that were warning the nation of Israel, turn and live, turn and live, turn and live. The message was consistent, and they rejected, and eventually they went into Babylonian captivity. Daniel was written to encourage the exiled Jews, those that are in captivity, they've gone into captivity, by revealing God's program to them both during and after the time of the Gentile power in the world. Now, again, the book starts with Babylonian captivity and it goes all the way through the empires, and it goes through Antichrist, which we'll be studying much later in, in the book of Daniel, and the Ten-Nation Confederation and what's going to be rising up in this world today. The world is being set up for this Antichrist to come, like never before, like never before. The times are changing. The world is changing, if you haven't recognized that. So with that introduction, I want, to, want you to think about a couple of things. Why? God judged Israel. Why in the world did he judge the apple of his eye? Israel is called the wife of Jehovah. God had an intimate relationship with the nation of Israel, but they spurned that relationship. So there are two main reasons. Number one, they did not keep the land Sabbath. If you would, turn to Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. So Leviticus 25, 1 through 7. So they did not obey the land Sabbath. So what's the big deal about that? What is a land Sabbath? We know nothing about that in our, in our time. But for the nation of Israel, they were commanded to let the land rest one out of seven years. That would be a Sabbath rest. You're letting the land rest for one out of seventh years. The Jews decided, oh, we're not going to do that. We can't possibly live without harvesting our, our stuff during that seventh year. The commandment is in Leviticus chapter 1. I'll read verses 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, notice he's giving them the promised land. God is sovereign. He is the one that establishes kingdoms. He is the one that gave this land to the nation of Israel. Then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. That is the key, to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field. Six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year it shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. And on it goes. He tells them how to survive during this time. You're not going to harvest stuff to make money, or you're not going to harvest stuff to, to store it. You can, stuff that grows naturally, you can eat it to survive. And God will provide that for you. It's, enough stuff will grow naturally so that you can you read on in those verses, you'll see that. But, that, but they did not want to listen. So. Why did Israel not obey the land Sabbath? Why don't we ever obey God? We wanted to do our own thing. They wanted to do their own. They didn't trust God to provide for them during that seventh year. Now remember, these are the people that have just come out of the out of out of Egyptian captivity. These are the ones that God is going to provide for with manna. These are the ones that God's going to provide for with water. These are the ones that God miraculously delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. But yet they can't trust their God to keep 
to provide for them during that seventh year of land Sabbath. Now, the consequence that we see in this is written in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 20 through 21, and I believe it'll be worth your journey to turn there. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 20 through 21. And I want to give you a kind of a preview as you're turning to those verses. In verse 15, it says, And the Lord God of our fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers. This is speaking about the fall of Jerusalem. This is the reason for the fall of the, or the length of captivity for the fall of Jerusalem. God is sending prophet after prophet. These messengers are prophets that are warning the people. Right now, we, we have the word of God that warns us. We have the word of God that tells us what's coming. We have the word of God that is our warning. In those days, they had prophets that came and spoke. But notice what the people did in verse 16. They mocked the messengers of God. Now, is that common? Does that ever happen today? <laughs> you bet it does. And they mocked the messengers of God. Secondly, they despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. And I want you to notice something very special. If you are a Bible student, pick up on this next point. It, they scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. There was no turning back. There was a point when the people went too far. That happens today. God comes, God comes, God comes, God comes. People stiff-arming, people stiff-arming, people stiff-arming. And then there's a point where God gives you over. Now, fortunately, I'm very thankful for this, that he is long-suffering, that he deals with us for a long time. He is gracious and compassionate. Thank you, Lord. Notice this, the wrath of the Lord rose against them. That word wrath is kima in the Hebrew, and it does mean wrath, heat, anger, rage, indignation. Look, when, a, when, when there was a problem in Israel, God would raise up a prophet. The prophet would then go and warn about judgment. He, he warned about judgment, and there was a call to repent. And remember in Ezekiel 18.23, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should perish, says the Lord. Turn and live. Turn and live. Turn and live. That was his cry to humanity. This is cry to us today. Turn and live. Turn to me. God is a loving God. He wants to just give you a great big bear hug and welcome you into his family. That's the heart of God. But people want their own way. They want their own idols. And that's what happened to the nation of Israel. They ignored, they disobeyed, and the judgment was sure. If you pick it up in verse 19, then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem. This is, the, this is Babylon. Burned all its places with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. You can't imagine what this was like to the nation of Israel. The treasured city of Jerusalem. Its temple is leveled. The place where they worship their God was leveled. Something that they couldn't even imagine. This is Solomon's temple being absolutely destroyed. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. And why was it, verse 21 says this, to fill the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths? Because they didn't allow the land to rest, they are experiencing 70 years of captivity. Is God serious when he says something? Is he serious? He is serious when he says something. Yes, he is. So they broke the land Sabbath for 490 years. You're going to give me one 
verse 7. That's 7 into 490, 70 years. God commanded the land to rest. And why is this? They did not trust God to supply their needs. They did not trust God to supply their needs. That is the reason. God is, he, God is very much into, listen to me, listen to my word, obey what I'm saying, and trust me when I say it. Trust me when I say it. So, just a couple things to think about. Now, look at your own life. Look at how you've come into the family of God. It's easy to trust God when you can see the end of something. That's not faith. That's not faith. When you can figure everything out that God is doing around you, when everything is falling apart and you wonder, what is going on, God? When you can figure it all out, that's not faith. Remember, we walk by faith and not by sight. The righteous will live by faith. Without faith, Hebrews 11 and 6, it's impossible to please God. So, our, so, so we walk by faith and not by sight. Remember, God is pleased when we live by faith. God is pleased with a life of faith. God is pleased with a life that says, I will trust you, Lord, until I die. I, my trust is in you. I don't care what happens. I don't care what it looks like, sounds like, smells like. I don't care. I'm trusting you in this until I'm no longer here. Look, we have people that we're praying for to be saved. Seems impossible. They're too far. They're too far. Oh, no. We trust God until we are out of here. God is a God of the miraculous. In Jeremiah, it says, I am the Lord of God of all mankind. Is anything too difficult for me? And there's nothing too difficult for our God. There's no one too far. There's no situation too difficult that God cannot invade and change the course. Oh, he's a great God. He's a wonderful God. He's a merciful God. They did not keep the land Sabbath, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, the lesson is this. When God says something, he means it. When God says something, he means it. We cannot, we must not tweak, turn, change, adjust what God says because we're not comfortable with that. I'm not easy with that, God. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like it. It doesn't make sense to me, God. That, that whole land Sabbath thing, it doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, God, I think my ways are a little bit better than your ways. I think I figured this thing out better than you. Give me a break. Give me a break. He is God. We are his children. And folks, there was a program years ago, which 90% of you will not know, 10% will. Father knows best. Well, our Father knows what is best, okay? Yes, true words. Our Father knows best. So number two, so the length of captivity is 70 years because they didn't keep the Sabbath. Number two, the reason for it is idolatry. Israel was immersed in idolatry. For centuries, the nation had been dabbling with the gods of the, of the countries that they were immersed in. They were dabbled with the Canaanite gods. They dabbled with the Amorite gods. They dabbled and he dabbles, and it got worse and worse. And it peaked. It peaked with a king named Manasseh. And this, this evil king, he was the most evil king ever in the nation of Israel. If you would, turn to 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 2 through 9. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 2 through 9. What in the world did Manasseh do that was so awful? Well, you listen to this and tell me how this might mirror what is happening in our culture today. Listen to this. First of all, he came to power when he was 12 years old, so his mom actually led the thing. But in verse 2, it says this, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before them. He got immersed in the idols of the culture. That's easy to do, particularly today when we have the idols of the culture coming 24-7 into our eyes and into our minds with the technology that we have. Easy today. What did he do? He rebuilt the high places. That's pagan worship, worshiping false gods, false religions, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up the altars of Baal and the wooden images as, as Ahab, the king of Israel, has done. These are all false god worshiping. They worship all the host of heaven. This is astrology. This is, this, is, this, is the, this is the demonic realm in astrology. They worship all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I have put my name there. I want you to think about something. When you take a space shot over the, the city of Jerusalem, you will see this sign. Remember, live long and prosper? Okay, this is the shin. This is the name of God. When you look at it, the mountains form this, and it forms the shin. This is the place where God dwells. This is his place. This is his holy city. And they desecrated it. They desecrated the temple. And he built altars in the host of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he also made his, oh, this is the big one. This is the crescendo. Made his sons pass through the fire that's killing your babies. That's taking on what the false gods were doing when they were killing their babies. And that was an abomination to God. Soothsaying, witchcraft, consulted spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he carved out the image of Ashtar and put it in the temple, put it in the house of God. This guy did worse than any king. And it notice it crescendos, it crescendos, it crescendos. And then God says no more. He gives them, if you would do this, I will do this. Interesting thing about this guy, Manasseh, and please hear this, because this has to do with people following their rulers. He says in verse 9, he's talking about the people that were following Manasseh, but they paid no attention. They had all kinds of warnings by God in those previous verses, which I'm not taking time to read because of time. Don't do this, don't do this. But they didn't follow God. And they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them. Oh, Manasseh introduced them to these gods, introduced them to these idols, and the people loved it because their flesh loved it. To do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh was an evil king. He seduced the people. The people paid no attention to God no attention to his servants, and they are paying the price for their, their decision. If you would, just turn two chapters over to 2 Kings chapter 24. I want, to, want you to think about something. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. God gave him victory all of all the nations that were around and said, if you... Do not bow down to him. Your, his yoke will be on you. It's going to say that in Jeremiah 27 later on in our, in our teaching. Okay? If you pay tribute to him, he was a vassal. It says here that Jehoiakim was a vassal for three years. He was paying tribute. And if you pay this tribute, then God says you can stay in your land. But notice something happens here to Jehoiakim. 
He became his vassal for three years, and he turned and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And we will find later on that he turned and rebelled because the false prophets were saying, God's not going to do that, Jehoiakim. He's going to give you victory over Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah says, no, you obey. No, this is what God says. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans and Syrians and Moabites and the people of Ammon. Then he sent against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he has spoken by his servants, the prophets. Jeremiah. Listen. It says here, Manasseh was so evil, in verse 4, also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. They worshiped the idols of the land, and it crescendoed when they're killing their children. They're killing their children. How tragic. How incredibly amazing. Babylon was used by God to crush Judah because of the sins of idolatry that the nation was was committing under the rulership of Manasseh. That is why they were crushed. Now it's important. The length of captivity was 70 years because they disobeyed the land Sabbath. But idolatry, all the nation was complicit with this. It wasn't just Manasseh. The people says, oh, we like what you're doing, Manasseh. We like what you're doing, president. We like what you're doing, whoever is in leadership. That is something that is anti-God. And the people are complicit. Look, at God will judge that. When a whole people gives themselves over to something that is evil and wrong in the eyes of God. Look, we are to obey our government. Unless our government says for us to do something contrary to the word of God, we should be exemplary citizens. Christians should be exemplary citizens. God has raised up governments for the purpose of order in an evil world, in a depraved world. But when the government says for us to do something that is contrary to the word of God, then we must say, no, we can't do that. We cannot go that far. Now, why captivity in Babylon? Babylon was the home of idolatry. Going all the way back, I don't know if you know about this, but the Tower of Babel in in Genesis chapter 11, when all the nations gathered together, God says, go fill the earth and multiply, and they stopped in in Shinar, which is Babylon. And they built a ziggurat. And what they were doing with the ziggurat, they were worshiping the stars, not worshiping the true God. And God confused their language, spread them all over because of the confusion of the language. Harry Ironside says this, The Jews were sent there so they might learn to loathe the idols they had loved. See, Babylon was the center, this was centrality of idol worship. You wanted to worship idols, there was plenty of them in Babylon to worship. And he sent his people there to get sick of the idols. The lesson is this, God will cause you to choose between God and idols. You cannot have a divided heart. He will cause you to choose. You cannot serve both. God will not, not, not accept a divided heart. Joshua says this, Joshua 24, 15. It's a word for us today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That is a message for, the, for certainly for the nation of Israel then, when they were going into the promised land, to face all of these ites and their gods. He says, choose you this day. Today, it's the same message to us. We are in a culture that is post-Christian. We're in a culture running from God. Choose you individually each day, each moment, each second of the day, 
whom you will serve. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That has to be something that's really imprinted on us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, an overview of what is happening to Daniel. So Daniel is taken into captivity, Babylonian captivity. You know how old he is? Some people say 14, 15 years old. He is a young, young man. And just think about this. He's taken away from his parents. Now, this is a Jewish family, and he's Jewish nobility. He's being trained in the things of God, in the noble things of God in that culture. He's one of the few, okay? And he's taken into Babylonian captivity. He leaves his parents. He leaves his brothers and sisters. He leaves his home. He leaves everything that is familiar to him. Everything. This is 14 years old. 14 years old. And there's not one hint in the whole book of Daniel about him being angry with God. He never saw his parents again. Never went back to Jerusalem again. Never was rejoined with his past. He just kept going with God. And he excelled wherever he went because he was a heart after God. At age 17 and 18, Nebuchadnezzar has the vision. And remember, most people know this story, but if you don't, Nebuchadnezzar is the king. He has this dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. Everybody's going to be killed. All the wise men are going to be killed because they can't interpret the dream. And then there's one guy that can, and it's Daniel. And the way he sees the dream is this. The head of gold was the, was the Babylonian empire, Nebuchadnezzar. The chest and arms and silver were Persia. The belly of the statue was bronze. It was Greece. And the legs of iron were Rome. And Rome had ten toes, and on those ten toes were the ten nations confederation will ultimately come Antichrist kingdom. It is the kingdoms that are going to be following, following in the future, that are going to rise up. And they did exactly as was predicted here in Daniel. Daniel predicted it before it happened. Before it happened. And notice how the, the, the image is viewed by Nebuchadnezzar the king. Head of gold chest of silver. That's, it's beautiful. It's ornate. It changes the way God views it in just a few moments. Just keep that in mind. Then at the age of 25, you know, eight years later or something, Nebuchadnezzar creates the image of gold, and he commands everyone to bow before it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow. And they say something that is absolutely mind-blowing. They say this, you're going to go into this fiery furnace, be thrown in there like toast. That is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Listen to this. They're facing death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3.16, answered and said to, king, to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He can do that. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... If our God chooses not to do this, and oftentimes he chooses not to deliver us, but we have to go through things, we realize that. If not, let it be known to you, O king, O world, O country that we live in, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar throws him into the fiery furnace. Three guys, and there's a fourth person in the fiery furnace. And we believe that that fourth person was the Lord Jesus that protected them. Look, it's not always going to be great and wonderful when you stand. There's a persecuted church out there that's suffering like you cannot believe. And they will suffer until they die. 
All the disciples suffered, except for Je- he suffered too, but they all died for the cause. So there's, there, there, we will trust in the Lord no matter what, deliverance or non-deliverance. Then Nebuchadnezzar has a dream when he's, when he's 40 years, 45, 50 years old. And there's a warning to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't be so arrogant. If you do not bow and worship God and recognize where your power comes from, you're going to, you're going to suffer the consequences. God waited 12 months. And Nebuchadnezzar is walking around, and in his hubris, he says, look at all this stuff that I have built. And the, the word comes out, Nebuchadnezzar, your days are numbered. And he, he ends up grazing in the field for seven years, like an animal. And when he gets done with that, he realizes, oh God, you are the one that reigns. You are the true God, and he worshiped the true God of heaven. That was the next, that was the next one, 47, his humiliation as a beast. And then, he, then Daniel at age 67 sees how God views these beasts. One is like a lion, a vicious lion. One is like a bear, that's Persia. One is like a, a, a leopard, that's, that's Greece. And Rome was, was a dreadful, was just a dreadful image with its ten-nation confederations and toes of clay and iron. And it goes on at age 69, he has this vision of the ram and the goat. And then he sees at age 81 the abuse of the temple of Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall. No one can read what is on the wall. They call for Daniel. Daniel reads the words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Absharon. This is the interpretation. God has numbered your kingdom, Belshazzar, and finished it. Tekel, you have weighed into a balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persian. And the Belshazzar gives honor to Daniel. And that very night, Persia rules. God is sovereign in the hearts of people and in nations and kingdoms and kings. He raises up whom he wants and he brings down who he wants. Nothing's out of control. Because of time, you can read the, read the following, but of note, I want you to note, just of, of interest, it was at age 81 to 84 that he goes into the lion's den. 81 to 80, this isn't the young Daniel. This is at age 81 to 84, he experiences the lion's den because the trap is being set that if Daniel prays out his window and everybody sees him, that he is, because he is praying to somebody other than Darius, the, the, the Persian king, anybody who does that is condemned to death. The satraps and that sort of thing set him up for this. They knew exactly what Daniel would do. Daniel opened that window and prayed three times a day to his God, just like as he always did. He was not intimidated by the culture. He was not intimidated by those people telling him, you can't do this anymore. He was not. And he was thrown into the lion's den, and God saved him. So that's of interest. That's of interest. That's the timeline. You have it in your hands. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves, and, and I want you to realize this, the study of Bible prophecy is not common in the church today. It is not common in the church today. Why study Bible prophecy? Now, this is excerpted from, from Austin Precepts. And, and I just added this. Many in the modern church minimize the teaching of Bible prophecy. It's too scary. What's going to happen in the future? It's very scary with the Antichrist and what's going to, all that stuff that's going to happen. It's going to happen. 
you might want to have a heads up. Okay? It's scary. It's controversial. No one knows what in the world the symbolism means, and on it goes. But I will suggest to you that Daniel and all the prophetic books are God-breathed, just like all the other books, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Spirit of God can illuminate this word to us so that we're getting an, at least a, a somewhat accurate view of what these, the symbolism is. But I, we, I believe as we go through this, you'll see that the Bible can interpret the Bible, and the symbolism will become very apparent, very apparent as you study it. Now, the safest way to approach this book is to read it prayerfully and literally. And this is about a Jewish man, Daniel, talking to a Jewish people that are in captivity, and he's encouraging them and saying, this nation will raise up again. This nation, you're going to be in captivity for a time, but God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Now, this is a problem, because today there's a whole segment. Actually, the vast majority of Christendom believes that God is finished with the nation of Israel, and that all the promises that were given to Israel have been transferred to the church. This is called replacement theology. This is the reason that Hitler was allowed to rise up and kill all those wicked Jews, six million of them in World War II. It is the reason why anti-Semitism continues today. Okay, it's a replacement. It is not as a false teaching. It is a false teaching. So it's an errant teaching. Daniel will help us to see unequivocally that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. He's going to raise up these kingdoms, and he's going to come back, and he's going to establish his kingdom. So, with that stated, the following reasons are why we study Bible prophecy. 20% of Scripture is prophecy. 20% of your Bible. 20% 20 of this is prophecy. So it's important that we have a clue. That we have a clue what in the world is going to be happening. Have a clue. 80% of that prophecy has been fulfilled. And if it was what was fulfilled in the past happened, it was fulfilled, certainly what is going to happen in the future will be fulfilled. We can count on that. Daniel contains basic prophecies. And remember, Revelation is difficult to understand unless we can understand Daniel. Secondly, cults major in the misuse of Bible prophecy. So you must have an understanding, a basic understanding of what Bible prophecy really teaches. Thirdly, the study of prophecy will increase your faith. If God has fulfilled it in the past, he will fulfill it in the future, and you can count on that. Our God is true to his word. Daniel, number four, Daniel demonstrates it's possible, now listen to this, to live in Babylon and yet not succumb to the anti-God worldly influence. Look, we are immersed in a culture that is against God. And we, like Daniel, can survive this if we stay close to our God. If we compromise and dabble, we're going to get gobbled up. We're going to get gobbled up. Daniel teaches that God is sovereign and can sustain his children, even in most adverse circumstances. And sixthly, it's important as we watch America and the world rush headlong into godless paganism and rank unrighteousness that we can take heart and know that God always, always, always has a remnant. He will always have a people that will believe and follow him. Now, a remnant is a small group, isn't it? Remember, the majority are going to go through the wide gate to destruction in Matthew. The, the, the majority, the, 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 the few, go in through the narrow gate. 
the Jesus gate, the one way to God gate, Jesus Christ only. Daniel teaches that history is truly his story. His story. Interesting. Daniel's not a prophet called to tell people to repent, but he foretells what is coming. To understand history in our world today, you must understand Daniel. In number eight, uh, listen to this. God never speaks directly to Daniel. You never hear a word from God to him directly. Uh, but certainly God is influencing exactly what's going on with Daniel's life. And as we come to know God better, as he influences our lives, we will learn to stand firm, to take action in the midst of a godless society. Stand firm and take action. Action. Remember, remember uh, 1 Corinthians 16, whatever it is, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. That's what we are to do. We are to stand fast in the faith. Number nine, the knowledge of the future should affect our conduct in the present. So folks, if it's all, if it, it, all true then and it came to fruition, it's all going to come to fruition in the future, and that helps us to become more like our Savior. Studying prophecies is not to make us smarter sinners, but to make us more like Jesus. It's all true. Number 10, future hope stimulates present purity. Remember, hope is the assurance that something good is going to happen. And I'll tell you, the something good that is going to happen is Jesus is coming back and correcting this whole thing. Take a hard stop and remember that. And number 11, miracles and fulfilled prophecy clearly establish that God is the only God. There's a lot of competitors out there that are masquerading as God, false idols, and that sort of thing. But there is one God, and he is Jehovah God, and he's the one that we serve. And finally, number 12, Daniel is the key to a full and accurate interpretation of the book of Revelation. Here are the words of Ray Stedman. He says this, The book of Revelation explains the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel lays the basis for the book of Revelation. If you would like to know God's program for the future, it is essential that you understand the book of Daniel. With this introduction, let's do verses 1 and 2. And that was a long introduction, wasn't it? Let us pray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us to study your word. Holy Spirit, you are the one that teaches us. We come in here. We cannot understand anything unless you illuminate the word to us. So we ask that you would do your work of speaking to each one of our hearts. Each one of us comes in in a different place. Each one of us comes in wanting to hear the truth about what is coming our way. The truth, Lord. Speak to us today the words that we need to hear as individual people. Please, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1 and 2. This verse is actually the start of the time of the Gentiles, and we'll define that more in just a second. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now this guy is the main player for this whole thing coming down. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar has been used by God to do what he's going to do with the nation of Israel. He's going to actually be called a servant of God for the wrath of God to be poured out. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Notice the Lord gave. There's nothing that Jehoiakim could have done. Didn't matter how many chariots he had. Didn't matter if he got Egypt on his side. Didn't matter what he did. He was going down because God decreed it. 
the king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, we said, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles and the treasures of the house of his God. Now, you must remember, when a nation conquered another nation, they took their God stuff, and they submitted that God to their God. That is what is happening here. It's a sad picture here for the nation of Israel. There's no such thing as any God being able to put our God under them. No. But this is what Israel did. They lost all the articles of the temple. They lost the things that were so valuable to them because they would not worship God. So the theme, the theme of the book of Daniel is God's sovereign control over nations, over rulers, and I should have added over you. God is in charge, folks. God is in charge. Now, what is the time of the Gentiles? What in the world does that mean? Remember, a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. They are known as Gentiles. They're known as Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles is from Babylonian captivity to the second coming of Jesus Messiah. It means the Gentiles are going to trample down Jerusalem until Messiah comes back, until Jesus comes back at the second coming. Now, this has happened all through history. There have been little sprinkets of time where Israel may have occupied Jerusalem. But they didn't do it for very long, and this Gentile trampling down of Jerusalem was predominant from 60, from actually 586 B.C. all the way to our era now. We are in the time of the Gentiles until Jesus comes back. That's the time of the Gentiles. The key verse here is this. It's Luke chapter 21, verse 24, and it says this, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Now, the setting here is Rome. So the prediction is for in 70 AD, Rome is going to crush Jerusalem, again, because they rejected the Messiah. They've gone their own way. This is a continuation of the time of the Gentiles. Okay, Jerusalem is trotted down by Rome. The Jews aren't in charge there. Rome is in charge. So it's a continuation of that. So they're going to be led away captive in all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. The time of the Gentiles is fulfilled when, when Jesus comes back the second time. So that's the time of the Gentiles. In Daniel's day, there were three phases to the siege of Jerusalem. The first phase was in 605 B.C. Daniel and others that were, that were the learned, that were the cream of the crop, were taken into Babylonian captivity to learn how to be Babylonians, to serve the king. In 597, Ezekiel became a captive. In 586, finally, Jerusalem falls. Jeremiah flees to Egypt, and that solidifies the start date for the time of the Gentiles, trampling down Jerusalem. Now, the question that I think you should ask yourself is why the siege of Jerusalem? Now, we know that it's because of idolatry and the length of that, but there's something very interesting that I've already shared with you, alluded to it a little bit, but I wanted to go into a little bit more depth. So while I am speaking, turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 27. What did Jehoiakim do? Well, King Jehoiakim heeded the false prophets and he refused to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what did these false prophets say that convinced Jehoiakim? Well, just like all false prophets today, what they say to convince us 
They tell us what we want to hear. That's what false prophets do. They told Jehoiakim exactly what he wanted to hear. And in chapter 27 of Jeremiah, we read this. In the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And let me summarize this. He says, look it. Says the Lord, make for yourselves bonds and yokes. Put them on your necks. Send them to the king of Edom. Edom's going to fall. Moab's going to fall. Ammonites are going to fall. Tyre, Sidon, by the hand of the messenger who came to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say to their masters, thus says the Lord of hosts of Israel. Skip to verse 6. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Notice, I have given it. God has given this. All these lands. The king of Babylon, and this is, then these words, my servant. He will do exactly what I tell him to do. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know this. He's just going about his way thinking he's making all this stuff up and he's a great king and he's, he's doing what he thinks he should do. It's God moving his heart. It's God moving, pulling the strings behind the scenes. My servant and the beast of the field I will also give to him. Verse 8, and it shall be that all nations and kingdoms that will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which will not put his neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish. And then in verse 9, we see this. The, the false prophets are prophesying, don't listen, Jehoiakim. Don't listen to Jeremiah. Things are going to be great. It's not true what he's saying. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, Jeremiah says. Your dreamers, your soothsayers, your sorcerers, who speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. See, they're telling Jehoiakim exactly what he wants to hear. Exactly. That's what false prophets do today. They give you a false word to tell you exactly what people want to hear. For the prophecy is a lie to you to remove you from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But the nation that will bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land. Hear that. If you submit to the king, God says, then you will be able to stay in your land. But these false prophets convinced Jehoiakim. It's, it pick it up in verse 16. I also spoke to the peace and priests and to all the people saying, thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your false prophecy, your prophets who prophesy to you saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord will, Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon. For they prophesy a lie to you. Do not listen to them. Do not listen to the false prophets. Do not listen to the false prophets. They're out there today, the false prophets. Don't listen to them. Don't. Look at what is the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? Very simple. If you want to, you can even write this down in the front of your Bible or something. First of all, a true prophet is a messenger of God and gives a true word of God to the people and to the king. A true word of God. He gives the people what they need, not necessarily what they want. Gives what they need, not necessarily what they want. And, and he gives this word that God says, no matter the consequences. And many of these guys were thrown in, Jeremiah was thrown into a pit dungeon left, many prophets were killed. They didn't matter what the consequences were. They were going to be true to their God. What about a false prophet? Well, they usually have, I have a word for you. I have a word. Ever hear that? I have a word. A word. I have a word for you. 
And it's usually a word that the people want to hear. Oh, you got the health, you got the wealth, you got all this stuff. I mean, just do this. I got a word for you. Yes. It's usually what they want to hear. And secondly, it says what will make the false prophet popular. Isn't that a popular message? You can have whatever you want and have it right now. Just plant your seed, have faith, that sort of thing. And remember this, they're concerned usually about their own pride, their own position, and their own pocketbook. That's usually what the false prophets are really focused on. Now, we are presently, now please hear this, if you haven't heard anything at this point, come back in. Come back into the talk. We are presently living in the time of the Gentiles. That's this epoch of time that we are in now. Jerusalem is trotted down by the Gentiles. Remember, the whole focus of planet Earth is not America. It is the nation of Israel. That's the whole thing of prophecy. The whole Earth focus is that little, little strip of land in Israel. Now, hear this. There are four quarters today in Jerusalem. One is a Jewish quarter. Three are Gentile quarters. One is a Christian, one is a Muslim, and one is an Arminian quarter. It is trampled down by the Gentiles. During the time of the Gentiles, that's our epoch of time, Jesus came into the, this darkness of the world. It was a dark world when he came in. He came in as the light of the world. That is how it's described. He is the, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So he comes in as the light of the world, yet he is rejected by the Jewish leadership, and he is rejected by the Jewish people ultimately. And they turn against him. The Jewish leadership influences the Jewish people. They reject their Messiah. So now God changes his focus from a nation focus to a world focus. And the world focus is the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a global church. It isn't Calvary Chapel. It isn't the Baptist church. It's not the Presbyterian church. All those people can be part of the, of the church that Jesus is establishing. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, rose again from the dead, that he took your sin debt, and you say, thank you, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you to take my sin debt, and you receive the gift of life that he offers you, you can be part of that family. You can be part of his church. That's how you get to be part of it. It's believe in him, serve him, obey him, worship him. That's the true church. The true church age ends, I believe, with the rapture of the church. I think that's the next thing that's going to happen on the agenda. That Jesus Christ will come and take us out of here who are true believers. Now, that's a, that's a minority view within the majority of the church. But I believe the scripture teaches a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. More on that in just a second. And then, God, when the church is taken out, his program will refocus on the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel goes through a seven-year tribulation period. That whole seven-year tribulation period is designed for the specific reason of bringing the Jewish people back, to bringing them back. God will refocus on the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. God will. Break the will of the holy people. It will take seven years, right to the end of the seven-year tribulation before these people finally believe. They go through a lot with Antichrist. And Israel will then recognize their national sin of rejecting Messiah, 
and they will plead for him to return. Jesus will then return at the second coming. He puts down Antichrist's revolt. The time of the Gentiles will end, and Jesus will establish his millennial kingdom, his thousand-year reign on earth. And all I can say is, Maranatha, even so come Lord Jesus. Get us out of here. The time of the Gentiles started in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar leveled Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple, and culminates with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And folks, it's on the horizon. Look at the conditions of the world. Look at what Bible prophecy has predicted. We are in that epoch of time that could very well see, and I believe that, I believe that we at least qualify for the coming of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, the book of Daniel is a fascinating study on how God ultimately is in control of nations and kings. In Daniel chapter 2, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream. Daniel is called to interpret the dream. And he says this, Daniel answers and said to Nebuchadnezzar, Blessed be the name of God forever. Now he's steadfastly walking right up to this Nebuchadnezzar, this heathen guy. And he goes, bless the name of the true God forever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. And Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, he removes kings, and he raises up kings. He is God. He is in charge. Not you, Nebuchadnezzar. Not you, president. Not you, prime minister. Not you, whoever think you're all about yourself, all that and more. Uh-uh. God is in charge. It oftentimes appears, folks, as things are spiraling out of control, doesn't it? It looks like it's spiraling right out of control. And I would suggest to you, fear not. God is at the helm. God is driving this ship. God is steering the course of the human events. Everything is on schedule. And very soon, very soon, the king will come. And I'm not kidding you. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. Be ready. The world conditions are changing. Matthew 24, 37 says this, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the second coming of Christ. What was Noah's days like? They were doing their own thing, ignoring God. That was the predominant thing in the world. They were doing their own thing, ignoring God. What is happening in our world today, the Christian world today, the alleged Christian world today, doing their own thing and basically ignoring God. We are living in this epoch of time. Humanity, folks, is devolving, not evolving, devolving. Chaos is the norm today. And apostasy, that is, those who claim to be believers are falling away like never before. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2 or 3. The great apostasy is when the majority of the church says, hey, I'm going to listen to the false prophets. I'll have a little bit of God, but I'm going to have a whole lot of what I want. And they fall away from the true faith. God will not accept a divided allegiance. The signs are all around us. Hear the words of Jesus in Luke 21, 28. Now, when, you, when these things begin to happen, Look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Folks, the king is coming. He's coming. 
And we need to have a clue what is going on that ushers him in. We don't want to be blinded. We want to be caught off guard. We want to have a clue. Daniel's going to help us with that, and the book of Revelation will really help us with that. A study in Bible prophecy will help us to know just how close we are. And a final thought, the key to spiritual discernment, first of all, starts by being born again. You have to be a Christian. you got to have the Holy Spirit. You will not know anything. You will not have any wisdom or knowledge about what in the world's going on. It starts with being born again, and it's then, it, then it, as we grow and the Holy Spirit gives us more information, we are illuminated and we'll understand more. But it starts, that's the rudiments. So the key to spiritual discernment, Harry Ironside says this. Now put your Bibles down. Focus on what I'm saying here. Last moment. If we were going to get the mind of God in studying the book of Daniel, he says, we must remember that it consists of revelations, deliverances, and visions given to a spiritually-minded man with the following qualities. He was separated from the iniquity of his day. Remember, he was, he was in Babylon, but he was not Babylon. Hopefully you are in Battle Creek, but you are not Battle Creek. Hopefully that's the situation. If we are, if we are to understand it, we need to be spiritually-minded, so separated, spiritually minded, and we need to walk apart from all that is unholy. You want to understand God's plan, you cannot be dabbling in sin. You will not understand it. There is a block there. The truth of God is learned through the conscience. You know what the conscience means? Con means with, shunts means knowledge. With knowledge, all humans have a conscience that tells you this is right and this is wrong. This is right and this is wrong. With knowledge. This is why the most brilliant men can read the Bible through over and over and never hear the voice of God. Isn't that amazing? You have PhDs in Bible at Harvard. Never hear the voice of God. Fall away from the faith. Are blinded to who God really is. It has been said that what is one man's need is another man's poison. The very word of God may become poison to an unspiritual man. Hear this. If he reads it without being in subjection to God, reads it to find difficulties, looking at it to find and nitpick difficulties, and arises from its perusal more confirmed in his unbelief than he was when he sat down to consider it. Boy, I have seen this. The results are different when the same book is in the hands of a spiritually-minded person who has bowed in the presence of God, acknowledged their lost condition, trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who is now seeking to live in obedience to God and His Word. That man sits down to the same book, finds it to be food for his soul, building him up in his faith. That's a man. That's his, him and her. That's mankind. If you want the mind of God to understand his word, to understand Bible prophecy, it's not automatic. You must live separated from the world, spiritually minded, bow down in God's presence, acknowledge that you're lost, trust him as your savior, obey God and his word as it is revealed, and it will be illuminated to you. You'll be able to understand. And finally, Ironside closes with this. If you want enlightenment, that word is photizo. If you want to be given light to see, starts with being born again. 
If you want enlightenment in the divine things, the prophecy that we're studying, see to it that you walk in the power of an ungrieved spirit. Remember, sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin will block you from understanding this word and understanding what he wants for us in the future. For the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Psalm 25, 14. Now, let me just end with this. May we come prepared. When we come to these studies, I'm suggesting to you on Saturday night, you turn off whatever is inputting your mind with the things of this world. You turn them off just for a night and get prepared to hear from God. Be ready to be enlightened to hear from God. Come with prepared hearts, ready to receive from God truths about the future as we study the book of Daniel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study your word, and thank you for Daniel. Thank you that God is my judge, and he certainly is. We could all be Daniels. We will be judged one day. And I thank you, Lord, that you have taken our judgment for sin on the cross, and that's not going to happen to us. We're just going to be judged for our rewards or loss of rewards for how obedient we are to you. But for those that are lost, they don't have a chance, Lord. They're going to end up in a lake of fire separated from you forever. So right now, Father, I ask you to search each one of the hearts that are here. If anyone is here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, oh, Lord, I pray today you will speak to their hearts and they'll realize their need and they will pause right where they are in their seat and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am sick of this life. I'm sick of living this life of separation from you. I repent of my sins. I believe and I trust that you died for my sins, and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. If you do that, you are saved. If you really do that, God has saved you. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you, you are saved. Lord, I pray that right now for somebody here that might not know you. For we who are walking with you kind of intermittently, we're kind of in, we're kind of out. Lord, help us to get our feet firmly grounded in you and your word. Help us to walk this thing out called life. Lord, we have a short time here. This is our little timeline, and it's ending soon for many of us. Help us to be found faithful all the way to the end. I will trust in the Lord until I die. And may we learn precepts from the book of Daniel that will help us as we live this life that is changing rapidly before us, realizing that our God is in control. No matter how chaotic this gets, our God reigns and things will be made right one day. Again, thank you for this time to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen.